All right, all you golfers, listen up to this next podcast. I have my friend Kirk Adams on. Kirk is the head of fitness at Ben Shear Golf and also the head of fitness at Athletic Edge. Um, ben Shear Golf is within Athletic Edge. Why you want to listen to this podcast? Kirk was recently named one of the Golf Digest top 50 golf fitness trainers in the entire country. So that is no joke. Um, we go into potential pitfalls of the average golfer, of the youth golfer, of the professional golfer. And we talk through a lot of the different questions that I get each and every day in my office, but you can hear it from the perspective of a golf fitness pro who's been in the industry now for a really long time and has some great experience working with some amazingly high level golfers. So for you guys out there that are serious into your golf game and want to learn more from a fitness perspective, this podcast is perfect for you. Enjoy. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Kirk, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So you are very focused on the golf community at these days, right? Yes. Uh, and recently, congratulations, named one of the top 50 golf fitness instructors in the country according yeah, to Golf Digest. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome. Tell me about how that came about. Uh, well, um, so it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I've, I've been involved with golf fitness now for almost 20 years. Uh, started back in my days when I was a strength and conditioning coach at Penn State. Um, I worked with the men's and women's golf team there. And uh, so I was with them for about 15 years uh, when I was in my time at Penn State. Mm -hmm. And uh, sort of was fortunate. Basically, when I started at Penn State, um, my assignment, we had a couple different weight rooms on campus. And the one I was initially assigned to when I became uh, an assistant there uh, was where the men's and women's golf team was working out, um, which I thought was great because I was a golfer, played golf. So um, it was interesting to get a chance to work with them, you know, even back then. And uh, so worked with them, like I said, for almost 15 years in my time there. And, and then about six years ago, I moved to the city, moved to New York City, and I was working at a club called Golf and Body NYC. Um, and at the time, uh, my boss now at Athletic Edge, uh, Ben Shear, uh, he was the fitness director at Golf and Body. Um, so he hired me there, and it was kind of a unique opportunity. The, the, the club had only been open for, I think, about eight months at the time. And it was basically set up like an indoor, like a high-end indoor country club in Manhattan. So mm -hmm. we had a couple of golf simulators. We had a gym, uh, physical therapist there, chiropractor, um, locker rooms set up like a country club. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, it was pretty much all golf fitness. Um, was there until March of this year. Um, spent a little bit of time at working at Equinox in the city uh, this summer. And then uh, uh, one of the trainers working with Ben at Athletic Edge uh, moved on earlier this fall, and uh, he reached out to me, wanted to know if he was interested in coming back to work with him here in New Jersey, and uh, thought it'd be a great opportunity. So, so in New Jersey now in Scotch Plains at Athletic Edge, and um, yeah, back to mostly focusing on golf fitness again. We see some other um, athletes there. Uh, there's a lot of hockey athletes that train out of Athletic Edge as well. Um, we also have some soccer and some lacrosse and things like that, but most of what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis right now is working with golfers, both adults and juniors. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So golf is interesting in that similar to baseball, but I would even say, I don't want to use the word dogmatic, but 
in the sense of back in the day, it was like you don't lift weights in baseball because you're going to get tight. And then right. now, you know, we all know the Sammy Sosa, that whole thing went the whole other way and these right. guys are getting juiced up. And now it's kind of back to some middle ground. Golf was always like, you know, a lot of these guys that were some of the best golfers, they never looked good, mm-hmm. right? And then I think the Tiger Woods era, and you'll know better than me, now Rory, the li- lifting weights came into play. And now I, I remember even seeing you post something recently, I think it was you, about strength isn't as important as I once thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your journey, because you've now been in the golf business over 20 years. So tell me where you started to like, what's the journey been as far as weightlifting, stretching, and, and where are you now versus where are you, what do you think now that, which maybe you used to think differently? Yeah, it, it has, it has been an evolution. And, and I think every sport has kind of gone through that. I mean, even going back to football where, you know, years ago, uh, you know, uh, people were afraid that people were going to get slow, they were going to get muscle bound, they were going to get tight. Um, and so every sport has kind of gone through that. Um, I think golf is one of the last ones that has sort of gone through that process of seeing where, how to apply strength and conditioning properly so that you see benefits and not, you know, detrimental effects of training. Um, obviously, you know, we're not trying to create bodybuilders or power lifters. We're trying to create powerful rotational athletes. So it's not that lifting weights, it's bad. It's just, it needs to be applied obviously correctly. Um, and then, like you said, I think, you know, most people kind of mark Tiger Woods's career as sort of the, um, you know, really the turning point there in, in fitness and, and whether or not he, you know, alone or, you know, you can go back to Gary Player or, or guys like that even before him that took fitness much more seriously than others. But, um, you know, still people kind of joke about the necessity of working out for golf and, oh, it must just be stretching. And, you know, so there's still some of that that pervades. But obviously, like you said, you know, with, with Tiger Woods 20 years ago and, and guys like Rory and and uh, Brooks Kepka and uh, Dustin Johnson and those guys, I mean, you know, it's it's a much more athletic sport than it used to be or people train for it to be an athlete not just a golfer anymore and so it's really evolved and it's still evolving and and i think i think the quote you're sort of um we're referring to there is you know one of the things i talk a lot about with people and, and other athletes is um you know there's different qualities fitness qualities that are important in different sports okay and i always usually compare it to football because it's i think maybe the most stark contrast um you know in football you can and even in basketball like you know basketball you can win you can be a great basketball player simply by being taller and jumping higher than other people. Your your those physical qualities can um, overcome some skill limitations. Physically, you can win where skill may not be as important. I think in golf, um, at least now, skill is still going to win. Um, size and strength are important, but I think it's still a, a skill game more than a physical game. Um, now, obviously, the 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 dream scenario is you put the two together and you have a very skilled player who is very physical as well. And, and those two, you know, you're starting to see more and more players like that. And those are the ones that are, those are the ones that are dominating the game. Um, but the, what is going to win in golf, I think is going to be different than in a, in a football or a hockey or a, or a basketball where, you know, and I just had this conversation with one of our juniors who plays football and, and he was sort of um, remarking in the differences in he's doing some offseason football lifting. And then he's also part of our junior golf program. And he was, I think, sort of noticing some of the differences in what we were doing and what we were emphasizing. And, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, look, in, in golf, you're not you're not going to have to run anybody over. You're not going to have to tackle anybody or, or run around somebody. Um, so what we're what we're emphasizing and what we're focusing on is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I think in my journey, it's it's been. Um, you know, going back to my days at Penn State, um, you know, in essence, 
we trained, um, you know, most teams the same um, when I was when I first started. Workouts were very similar. Um, the application was very similar across the board from, again, from football to wrestling to golf to lacrosse and, and all those sports looked much more similar than they do different. And over the last 20 years, um, I think we started to figure out still, I think to this day, a good portion of every um, strength and conditioning program is going to have a lot of similarities. Um, every sport needs strong lower body, strong upper body power, conditioning, flexibility. Um, but now we're starting to figure out the 25, 30% of the program that really needs to be unique to, um, that particular sport. Um, you know, obviously in golf, like I said, um, strength is important, but you're not going to simply win by being the strongest. Um, skill is going to still win. Um, flexibility is much more important. Um, I know one of the things, you know, working with Ben, um, one of the draws to working with him was obviously his experience working with players in the highest level. And I know one of the things that he always talks about is, you know, the guys that are on tour, um, they just move better than everybody else. And that's the biggest difference he sees between the tour players and the recreational players is their ability to move well. Talk Um, about, you know, when you and I know what move well means, but to the average guy, when you say move well, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So we, you know, we go through an assessment and, and, and some of your you know listeners may be familiar with like titles, performance Institute, TPI and, and how to get assessed and functional movement screen and those kind of things. So, you know, basically if you're familiar with any of those things, you know, they would do very well. And, and a lot of the things that we look at in those type of assessments for, for people that aren't aware, um, you know, can you touch your toes? Do you have good shoulder rotation, thoracic rotation, what mm-hmm. we would talk about? Um, you know, do your hips rotate well? Do Can you create separation between your upper and lower body? Um, can you tilt your pelvis? Yeah, can you move your pelvis? Hinge you know, your hips. Yeah, hip hinging and all those kind of things. And, and you know, I talk a lot about people about, you know, the, the necessity of being able to um, stabilize one portion of the body while another is, is mobile. And, you know, a lot of times what we need to do is um, the goal of an exercise is to uh, not move versus create movement. Okay, so a plank versus a sit up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and people, uh, you know, are often surprised by, you know, that's the focus of the program and, and those kind of things. So, you know, those athletes in, in the golf realm, you know, have, have much fewer mobility restrictions than your recreational player, where most recreational players are probably strong enough. Um, some can even swing the club fast enough, but just their ability to move really limits their ability to create a reproducible swing. And, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that can shoot 65, but they can't shoot 65 four days in a row. They can't do it week after week. Um, and that's mostly due to their inability to move and, uh, you know, produce solid contact on the, on the club each day. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So then let's go into that 25 to 30% specifically in golf. What, what does that look like um, in your programming for your, let's call it junior golfers at this point? Yeah. So for our juniors, um, you know, they're um, most the the biggest thing they generally will benefit from is increased strength. Um, You know, as a young athlete, they they typically move pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we look at their flexibility is pretty good. Yeah, their flexibility is pretty good. You know, they're young. They haven't uh, sat around at work for 20 years yet and those kind of things. So they haven't developed some of the immobilities that we see in our adults. Um, But they tend to need to get stronger Um, and they tend to oftentimes be able to, you know, create a lot of club head speed, but they don't maybe have the requisite stability that we would like to see to keep their body safe. Um, so those kind of things. So, um, you know, we see, we, we're starting to see more and more, um, I'd say mobility restrictions in some of the juniors because of the, um, I think lack of 
other sports that they're playing and, and not and not a lot of the free play that they're they aren't getting that you know you and I probably did and things sure. like that. But a lot of them just need to get stronger. They need to build some basic skills in the weight room and focus on that. And then uh, you know we put out we put them all through an assessment, try to find out some of the mobility things that may be limiting them, and then sprinkle that in their program around some of the the basics that they need. And then you know we have. We have everybody from seniors in high school all the way down to, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, so the ones that are closer to graduation, they're probably more focusing on those little details of how they move. And the younger ones are just working on basic movement skills and, and developing uh, just a stronger base. Talk about now the, the contrast of that, their their parents, the senior golfers. Um, yeah. How does their profile generally, I know it's specific to every uh, golfer, but mm-hmm. how does that profile generally change? Yeah. So if you talk, if you look at the adults, um, usually, and I'll kind of break that into men, ladies, men's and women, mm-hmm. um, for our guys, um, most times their biggest restriction is their ability to move. Um, flexibility, you know, mobility, those type of things. Yeah, flexibility, mobility. We put them through that screen. They have a lot more issues. Maybe they've developed some aches and pains along the way. They've had a surgery or two here and there. Um, so their ability to move is generally what limits them. And we often find adults who they've had some pain. Maybe they can't play or they can't play as much as they'd like to. Um, so a lot of it is getting, you know, getting out of pain creating better mobility. Um, they're often strong enough to play as well as they'd like. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on how old they are, maybe they're starting to see some uh, drop in club head speed. They don't hit it as far as they used to. Um, and that's starting to make the game harder for them. So getting club head speed up can be very helpful, but just improving their quality of movement um, so that they can play multiple times a week, multiple days in a row, not have as many aches and pains and, and just sort of enjoy the game more. Um, you know, I find a lot of the, you know, a lot of the adults and the seniors, they stop, they stop playing when the game isn't any fun anymore. They don't hit it very far. Uh, and it starts to hurt more than it's fun. You know, those kind of things. Um, with our women, we often find that, you know, their mobility is better. Um, they just can't generate enough club head speed often to play as well as they'd like to. So getting our women a little bit stronger, uh, adding a little more speed and power so that they can hit the ball a little bit further, that has a bigger impact on their ability to play well because they're just they're hitting shorter clubs on the course, and that just makes the game easier and a little more fun. Um, I know, again, gross generalization, but someone might be thinking, okay, I'm losing club head speed. I'm a senior golfer. Uh, maybe I just – speed, I need to get strong. Not necessarily the case. What, Not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, we usually I would probably look at, well, again, what's their mobility like? Um, what's their what's their strength level? And, um, you know, the other thing we find is, you know, as you know, as adults, uh, you know, most times during the week, we're not doing anything very fast. We just don't move quickly throughout the day, throughout the week. Um, but then we step on the first tee on the weekend and we're trying to swing the club 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So just learning remembering how to move quickly, uh, whether it be with some, just some throws, some medicine ball throws, Mm. some low level jumping, maybe some low level sprinting, just refreshing the nervous system on how to move quickly. Yes. Um, and then also making sure that we have the, you know, creating more range of motion, more time to create club head speed. The analogy that I use, I don't know if it works for you too, is kind of like pulling back a rubber band, right? Mm-hmm. If, if if they can't get that twist or that pull in the rubber band because they don't have the range of motion, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to, you know, the further you pull back a rubber band, the further it's going to fly. Sure. Similar. Very maybe. much. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of speed is created by 
rotation, distance, uh, again, separation between one half and the other. And if those things are all short and kind of moving as a unit and moving together, they're not going to be able to produce the same efficient swing and powerful swing. So, um, you know, again, for most of our adults, giving them more range of motion, more flexibility, more time to swing, um, they can create more club head speed and enjoy the game a little better. And, and to your point and, you know, your boss, Ben, has worked at that level. But um, from my reading and, and speaking to people, in a, if we went on the PGA Tour and saw the top 50 guys there, if we had a scale of being, you know, if the middle is like average flexibility and on the one end is terrible flexibility and the other end is too much flexibility, these guys generally would be on the almost too much flexibility. They yeah. have their, and a lot of that is genetic, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and so, you know, the story I know that TPI talks about with Rory is when he was having back pain, it wasn't that he was tight, it was that he was almost too flexible right. and developing the strength around it. Um, I actually used to see the same thing working with a lot of CrossFitters, mm-hmm. where the, a lot of the female CrossFitters that were good came from a gymnastics and dancing background. They had the inherent mobility. They could get into the positions. Yep. But then they just had to figure out how to kind of control it or create the strength. Right. And it sounds like as I'm doing more in the golf community, the high-level golfer sort of fits that same profile. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I haven't worked with that many high, you know PGA Tour-level players. But even at a I mean, college I'm talking, level, we saw that. Even mm-hmm. high school. I mean, yeah. I look at a high level. To me, it's like the average golfer, if he th- shoots in the low 90s, it's like normal, whatever, average. Mm-hmm. You know, even not an average high school golfer is, is in the 80s. Oh, so yeah. I consider those guys to be even, you know, then the average Joe that goes to the course. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can I can think of we had, in fact, one of our kids last night in our junior program, um, you know, real tall, skinny kid. Um uh, doesn't have not real strong, uh, can't create a lot of stability, but he can swing it. I think he was hitting like 114 miles an hour with his driver. Just as a reference, what does that compare that to like somebody else? What, well, that's probably around average PGA Tour because, club head speed with a driver. Yeah. Um, you know, for a 16 year old kid who again has the has the, has the flexibility to do it, um, but you know would would need a little maybe stronger base to go with that to uh, to tolerate that over the long haul. So, but yeah, absolutely, you're you're going to find that. Um, that is a genetic quality that they have. And that's part of the reason they're playing on that level. You know, um, again, you know, if you're, if you're taller, you're probably more likely to be an NBA player. And if you're more flexible, you're probably more likely to be a PGA tour player. How often do you find one of my favorite lines is you can't bring a technique fixed to a mobility problem and it works for everything. Meaning like, um, the golf coach wants this guy to get in a certain position, but he can't create it because he doesn't have the mobility. Do you find that maybe their accuracy or their I would say accuracy, like I keep pushing the ball right. And mm-hmm. if they come to work with you, you're not the swing coach. Right. But if you, from a movement perspective, change some of their movement that they will actually fix some of their accuracy, it's not necessarily a technique thing. Does that often happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, a lot of a lot of the swing faults that people are dealing with are just they're, you know, they're swinging around a roadblock in their body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think you have two options. I mean, I think the, the, the best scenario and what we try to create for our, you know, for our clients at Athletic Edge is we try to connect not only, you know, also with their their swing coach, um, and so that we know what are they trying to do in their golf swing. Okay, yes. what are they what are they fighting against? What are they working on? Uh, what are we seeing on the physical side? And then I think there's a decision you have to make with that swing coach, and it's you know, can we change the issue? Can we change the physical issue? And that is going to be determined, I think, on an individual basis, based on their age, based on how much time they're willing to put into it. Um, if someone's only willing to exercise one day a week for 30 minutes, 
um, their likelihood of making those big changes are, is not going to be very high. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it becomes a, a, a work of the swing coach then to know what those blocks are and see if they can work a swing around it that can be efficient um, despite what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, again, on the, on the highest level, the guys are they're making those same decisions, but they might have more of an ability to actually make a physical change um, versus swing or, you know, versus trying to swing around it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, in an ideal world, let's say, you know, you're king of golf for a day <laughs> and I'm a 55 year old guy that sits at a desk and I come to you and let's come. I'm, I'm a, above average, you know, mid eighties golfer. Yep. And I say, Kirk, like I'm getting serious about golf. I want to, I want to improve my game. I want to get below 80. Um, I really don't work out. I play golf once or twice a week. Um, you tell me what's the plan. How much exercise should I do? How much time on the golf course? What else should I be doing yoga? Should I be doing cardio? If you could build the perfect plan for somebody, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it starts by assessing all the different things that are important for success. Um, so we would, we would want to go through a fitness assessment, a physical assessment, see where the roadblocks are. Um, you know, if you're saying that you're not doing a lot of working out right now, um, probably adding something in that bucket would be good. Um, I often use the, the, the bucket analogy. And, you know, I think for how, you know, how do you be a great golfer? Um, there's some physical components that you need. There's some technical components you need. There's equipment uh, components that you need. Okay. So if you're playing clubs that, you know, you bought off the rack 10 years ago, uh, that could be holding you back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we would need to determine which of those, you know, which of those buckets is the most empty. You know, we, we usually see guy, you know, uh, people fall into one or two categories. Either they play and practice a lot and don't spend a lot mm-hmm. of time in the gym or maybe, maybe vice versa. They're, they're a gym rat, uh, but they don't practice very much. They don't play very much. Um, so trying to find where, where to fit that, you know, the most time in there. And then we can even break that down a little bit further and look at physically, you know, are your needs more in the mobility, strength, uh, power, endurance bucket. Um, and then from a practice standpoint, you know, do you practice enough? Do you actually play enough? You know, there's, there's difference between being good on the range and being good on the course, you know, there's course management issues. Um, and then you could break down the game, you know, where, you know, strokes gain, where are you losing out? Is, is it a driver? Is it your irons? Is it your putting? Um, so would want to kind of assess all those different areas for, for you. Um, and then figure out where to spend most of your time and then figure out how much time do you have to spend? And then how can we best use that time to, maximize our strengths, but then also bring up our weaknesses to a reasonable level. And I think it's, it makes to, to your point, the answer is, is, isn't easy. No, it's not. And which is why it's always challenging when someone kind of puts it to you like, okay, if, if I start training with you, Kirk, are you going to help my score get better? And it's like, uh, I don't know. Like if someone comes <laughs> to me, like if we do this, am I going to improve my game? I have no idea because right. maybe you're a maniac on the tee and like your mobility I, improves and that's good. Or I, I tell people all the, the time, clubs. I say, look, yeah, I say, look, I mean, I, we can make all these things better and you, you still, if you can't find the club face, I still can't help you. You know, so there, there is an element of that. And uh, I mean, I guess if you look at if just again, broadly speaking, you would spend a portion of your time working on your fitness. You would spend a portion of your time practicing. You need to get out there and play because there's an element of scoring that you can only do when you actually play around. Uh, you would probably make sure your equipment is up to date and has been fitted for you um, and understand a little bit about the, you know, how to manage, how to manage the course, you know, how to actually play the round versus practice the game. Um, you know, you don't play golf swing, you play golf, you know, that sure. kind of thing, that, that analogy. Um, you know, so if you, if you evenly divided your time, 
uh, throughout those buckets, um, you would probably have a pretty good chance of playing pretty well. And uh, I was speaking to Nick Bova, who we both know, and mm-hmm. I said, if you're if you want to go to like a mid nineties to a high eighties golfer, what's the first thing that you would do? I did that was the question. He said putting. Yeah. Right. So like fitness, his he does swing. He doesn't even do putting with right. those guys. So his thing is putting. If, mm-hmm. if it's just about the score, like the first thing is to fix the putting. Yeah. So you know you could have a perfect FMS screen, <laughs> but if you suck putting, right. you know, and you're putting, you know, fifty or whatever it is, sure. a high number, your score won't improve. Yeah. And so there's there to your point, there's so many elements that that make the game, which I think is why a lot of people like it because you're always chasing kind of the next thing, which also makes it maddening yeah there's there's no end point to uh the lowest score you can shoot you know yeah. so every, everybody's always like you said kind of chasing a better score and no matter how you know anytime you talk to somebody no matter how good they, they play they always think they could have shot two shots less of course <laughs> talk to me about in your experience at golf and body or now here um in athletic edge of maybe you know an adult golfer who came to you and maybe some results that you've had talk to maybe um, you know, we've done, they came in with this problem or this, and we did a routine and now they're feeling better or shooting better. Have you had any of the clients where you've seen dramatic results with? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure dramatic, but, uh, you know, the one, the things I look at is again, you know, how do they, you know, just comments I'll, I'll hear, uh, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have this pain anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm able to play two rounds in the weekend and I don't feel like garbage on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the guys mentioned that, you know, he's now driving it past his friends when he plays with them, things like that. So, um, you know, we've had some successes with, uh, again, better scores. Um, but like you said, I mean, uh, I have less influence, I think on better scores than I do on some components like that. Like, how do you feel when you play? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, can you walk the course? Can you carry a bag? Can you can you can you play as often as you wanted? Yes. Do you how do you feel the next morning? Um, how far are you hitting the the ball? Those kind of things. I mean, countless stories like that. Yeah. And those are the little comments that I, when I hear those, um, makes me know that we're doing something positive. And I don't even not even sure that they realize how positive that is. But I, in my mind, that those are the kind of comments that really know that we're doing something positive for people. How. The average distance is it around five miles if you walk a course on average? That's a that's a great question. I'm not even I'm not even really sure that that seems reasonable, but I, I'm not even really sure. Because you know I'll go out. My dad's about three seventy one, and he's in really good shape, uh-huh. and, he, and he walks all yeah. the time. Um, it people don't realize like if you're walking the course and either pushing, carrying your bag. I mean, it's uh, people at golf. It's like you drink beer and smoke cigars, but if you're walking a course, <laughs> oh, 18 yeah. holes, especially in the summer and you're it's trying hot. to, yeah, it's, it's no joke. I mean, no. you're not, you're not breathing. He- it's not that type of exercise, no. <sighs> breathing heavy, yeah. but it's, it's no joke. It's four know, or five hours. It's up and down hills. It's hot. Um, it, it is physically demanding if you're going to walk and anybody who hasn't walked around in a long time, um, whether you, you know, especially carrying your bag, uh, you know, try it sometime. Go walk the course and, and try to play in July and August um, and see how the, how different it is. Because now you have to consider your hydration, your your fueling, uh, and that all affects your score as well. So it's it's a big difference between, yeah, playing with your buddies, having a couple beers and riding in the cart versus playing a competitive round in the summer, walking the course, maybe carrying your bag. Like, again, when I was working with the guys and, and girls at Penn State, they were playing 36 holes in a day. They had to carry their own bag. Um, you know, they don't have caddies. And, uh, you know, it was it was tough. It was hard on them. And it's, it's hard to play eight, nine hours of golf in a day and then probably come back and do another 18 the next day. So it's tough. How do you 
knowing that that's the case and that's the demand, I mean, I'm imagining you're not having these guys carry rucks on their back and walking for 10 hours a day as preparation, but knowing that, yeah, it's not like they need to improve their 200 time or they need to get their cardiac output better, but they will be playing 36 holes. You know, they're not going to get their heart rate up crazy, but they need to be able to do that. Does that does that change your training a bit versus the lacrosse kid that, you know, needs to sprint and get his heart rate up more? Does it change what you would do or not really? Yeah. I mean, I think we, again, we would want to, uh, you know, working with the adults that we have now, I mean, admittedly, I think most of them are probably riding. I mean, most, a lot of the courses these days even require you to take a cart. So, you know, the cardiovascular component for a lot of players is not high. Um, but it is a mental challenge over four to five hours to stay focused and stay into it. So there is an element of that. Um, you know, if I was working with more competitive players, uh, or on the college level again, um, yeah, I would probably want to assess their cardiovascular endurance. And if we found that, you know, we felt that that was a, uh, a limiting factor, or if we took a look at their scores, um, and every round, uh, you know, the last six holes, they tend to shoot worse than in the first 12. Um, while again, maybe we, we can't objectively, uh, directly tie that into conditioning. To me, that would indicate that maybe their, you know, again, their nutrition or their hydration or their endurance is not where it needs to be because we're consistently seeing a drop in performance over the last couple holes. Right. Um, and that's one thing I've, I've tried to, um, you know, push with some of the amateur players is just the understanding of, look, if you're trying to save shots, you know, a lot of times guys, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this too, but you know, you show up at the course five minutes before your tee time. You walk right to the first tee. You've done no warm up. Um, you know, you didn't really think a whole lot about your again your your hydration, your your fueling during the round, and then you know you're dragging down the last couple holes. So, how many shots are you wasting by not being warmed up? You know, I often hear guys say, you know, hey, well, you know, they're on the fourth or fifth tee, and it's like, oh, finally, kind of, finally, kind of feeling loose. Yeah. It's like, well, how many shots have you wasted in those first three or four holes because you weren't loose? Right. Um, that you could have saved if you had done a bit of a warm up or yep. spent a little time on the range. Um, and then how many shots are you losing every round coming down again, those last three, four holes where you're kind of dragging, um, and you know, what does that do to your handicap? And so if you're, you know, if you're really trying to play your best, if you're really trying to get your handicap as low as possible, those things have an impact. Um, right. and I don't think sometimes people, you know, appreciate how much, you know, again, a, a, a shot or two or three on either end can really add up. Sure. Yeah. This is the part of the show where anyone over 30 listening will be laugh because it doesn't apply to them. Um, your junior golfers, I know yeah. we both know Eric Cressy, and yeah. one of the things he talks about in season in baseball is players trying to keep weight on. Yeah. I'd imagine, again, knowing the junior golfers, a lot of these kids are tall, lanky, skinny guys. Uh, they're out probably six, eight hours a day in the yep. sun and playing. Um is keeping weight on sometimes an issue with your with your junior golfers especially or even your Penn State? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, not having worked, not having worked in this facility very long, not having gone through like a full yearly cycle with them, uh, I, I can only sort of guess. But I can imagine again the the the, the kid I referenced from yesterday. You know, he's probably six two, six three, maybe one hundred and fifty, sixty pounds. Um, he's not going to put on any weight over the summer. Um, and just anecdotally, I know I've heard Ben talking about, you know, a lot of times when our juniors leave us in the spring and what they're able to produce club head speed wise. And then, you know, we will often lose them for the summer, um, despite our best efforts to convince them. Otherwise we'll often lose them for the summer. Um, and when they come back and the club head speeds that we see in the fall, so something has transpired over the summer 
despite them playing more golf than ever, that they've actually, you know, gone down physically. Um, Which and I, the equivalent would be, I think, miles per hour as a pitcher. Like yeah. as the season goes on, they're throwing not as hard as they did. Exactly. Maybe in the beginning. Yep, exactly. So, you know, one of the things I'm hoping to do is, you know, with the group that we have now in the winter that will run through March, um, you know, try to impress on them how important it is that once high school season starts and once they get into their tournament season of the summer, that, you know, even if it's only one or maybe two days a week to still try to make some time for the gym and that that is just as valuable as another hour or two out on the range. Um, you know, uh, taking two hours away from the golf course and spending that in the gym is probably going to pay much higher dividends over the long haul than those extra two hours on uh, on the range or on the putting green. So it's 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 that valuable. So yeah, keeping weight on, keeping club head speed up, because you know, in general, most of the biggest tournaments are probably towards the end of the summer, in the fall, before school starts, and that's when you want to be playing your best. That's not when you want to be, you know, generating your slowest club head speeds of the year. Right. So, um, but that's I think it's forever going to be a tough sell, but we'll we'll keep trying to convince people to do that. As far I was a baseball guy, we talk about um, you know giving kids a rest, playing other sports, or taking two or three months off from throwing. There's a lot of research behind that. Being in the golf community with the youth golfers, in an ideal world, would you want the kids taking any time off? It's a much different sport. Do you think that they need to be swinging a club twelve months a year? What do you, What do you think about that? I don't think they need to be swinging a club twelve months a year. Um, I, I think there's you know there's a difference between swinging a driver hundred. 15, 10, 15 miles an hour and working on putting, um, maybe, maybe cycling different levels of intensity of activities. You know, you don't need to be playing 36 holes year round, like maybe you are in the summer in tournament season and, and things like that. So, you know, just like we would from a workout standpoint, sort of periodize your, um, golf season a little bit and, you know, um, finding time for some downtime doesn't need to mean you need to be completely away from the game, but maybe you're working on, uh, different activities like, you know, lower level activities like putting and different things, short game, things like that. Um, you know, a lot of times if we have, um, um, an adult, uh, again, thinking back to my time at golf and body where they couldn't maybe make full swing, you know, because they're, maybe they're coming off an injury or something like that. Well, this is a great time to work on short game. This is a great time to work on some of those elements that sometimes get forgotten about mm -hmm. other, other places. Um, I think that's also the reason why, you know, a year round strength program is so important because it'll allow your body to tolerate playing longer, playing more often, doing those kind of things. But Again, I think sort of periodizing your golf season wouldn't be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you know, you can you can play golf at uh, year round at a very high level and, and really put your focus there. Um, and maybe you're doing something, uh, another sport or another activity on the side. Maybe you're not trying to play it as high of a level, but you're doing it, you know, more recreationally, more for fun. Um, you know, to keep up that development of different motor skills and things like that. I mean, golf is so repetitive um, in one direction, especially, um, and we're always working to combat that. But, um, you know, you're never going to swing as much offhanded as you are your strong side and things like that. Um, but yeah, periodizing your season, uh, trying to work in some other sports, uh, maybe not to the same level, um, and then trying to participate in as much of a year-round um strength and conditioning program that essentially could be treated as another sport to, to train those other patterns and, and make up for those other things I think would be important. I, let's say I have a son, he's 15. And again, I come to you and say, you know, golf's his thing. He wants to be a competitive golfer, wants to try and play in college. Mm -hmm. um, how important is it for him to maybe play soccer in the fall or basketball or in your mind, as long as they're doing strength and conditioning, maybe they don't need another sport. Um, I think that I think 
that's a conversation to have with the with, with the the player and the parents. Um, I think that can go either way. I mean, there's no doubt if you want to play at the high, highest levels of any sport, you're going to have to put in the time, and then you can. I think it's important to try to you know mix in other activity, and you can figure out how much time you have available for that. Like I said, I think in an ideal world, you're you're probably participating in something else that's. Uh, another physical activity, whether it be in the gym or on the field or whatever. And again, it doesn't have to be at the highest, you know, highest level. Maybe it's not five, six days a week, but I think something ideally would be good. Um, you know, just mentally and physically, I think it would be a good break and and get with another group of 15 year olds and, and develop some social skills and, and all those kind of things. But, um, you know, if you still making sure that you dedicate enough time if, if golf is something you want to do long term and, and play at a high level that you're putting in enough time to make sure that that can happen do you feel like some of your golfers whether it's junior or um even the adult golfers almost like they're good golfers but not that great athletes and just being a more well-rounded athlete would help their golf game i actually you know i spend time with nick at the while he's giving lessons, mm-hmm. I often see that like where I look at some of these guys in their forties and you could just tell they're actually like better golfers than they are athletes. Like if we went to go throw a baseball, probably wouldn't look so good or <laughs> uh, shoot a basketball might not be great. Um, and and it, it, to me, that's almost the missing element where they just don't have that athleticism. That yeah. It would be more well-rounded in a, um, I know a guy like Spieth and a guy, you know, some of these guys, they just look, you can tell they, they're good athletes. Right who happen to also be unbelievable golfers. Right. Yeah, I think that, again, I think that speaks to the the fact that skill in golf is always going to win. So you don't have to be a great athlete. You can develop a very specific skill, maybe more like a bowling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be very skilled at bowling. You don't have to be very, not as athletic as bowling as maybe a, a running back in football. Yes. Okay, something like that. So, yes, I think adults can develop the skill of golf. And maybe don't understand just how to be athletic. And I, I see that all the time. I mean, I work on skipping and crawling and throwing and running and jumping with our adults to whatever level they're capable of. Yeah. But we see some interesting things sometimes as far as just basic athletic skills. And I always kind of joke that, you know, okay, this is when this is where we're going back to high school to work on this stuff now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just understanding how to move your feet. And I think, you know, in the golf swing, we're oftentimes trying to, um, you know, Put our hand here, put our elbow here, put our rotate this, stabilize that. And I think the more the body is connected and they understand just how to be an athlete and how to move and how to, you know, feel certain things, um, I think that can that can be beneficial. So, um, yeah, I think and that's what you're seeing now more on the tour side where a lot of these guys have been high level athletes at other sports and they just happen to choose golf. But they were very athletic in, in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think that's where now the there's enough skilled people and there's enough there's enough athletic people playing the game that you have to have that element along with the skill. Right. Yeah. Um, the most common injury that you see in the adult golfer, is it low back? Yeah, I think that's the one most people talk about. I would say low back and probably shoulder. Um, we'll get some elbow stuff as well. But, uh, I mean, almost every adult that I talk to when I ask them about injuries or pain, they'll mention either currently or in the past have had low back pain. I think that's the one that most of them are sort of afraid of mm-hmm. um, or worry about. Um, maybe they've had a, a, a lapse of it at, at a time and they're kind of worried about it coming back. Um, spoke actually to a kid, uh, one of our juniors the other day who had it and, it, you know, sort of talked about being afraid of it coming back, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, 
yeah, I think that's one of the one of the most common and one of the ones that we're we're working on trying to eliminate the most. How would you go about eliminating it? And again, I know it's specific, but in general, because when I talk to people, it's like usually if you tell me you're a golfer and I'm low back, that's not where I'm starting. Right. Right. So what do you see as far as where do you go to work? Yeah, well? I would say it's mostly making sure that the you know the parts of the body that are supposed to move well in the swing are moving well, which and are which are the hips and the kind of the thoracic spine, middle of the back. So above and below the low back. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Above and above and below the area that we're having a problem. Cool. Um, and I usually I you know for most people I try to explain it very um, simply where we have kind of an upper back, a middle back, and a lower back, and we want the middle back. That in the when we think about the golf swing, when we think about turning in the golf swing, that's where we want to kind of get that motion from. That's where we're kind of usually looking to see if they have enough of it. Um, and when they don't, um, and they talk about having back pain, I'll kind of point out, you know, hey, see how this isn't moving. And then you've mentioned low back pain. See how the hips aren't moving potentially. Um, I think a lot of people understand the importance of core strength. Mm. Okay, and you know, we could talk about core strength for hours and and the different things that we need there, but. Um, there is an element of that. And, and again, I think it comes down to what maybe most people don't recognize yet is we're talking about usually preventing movement of the core and the spine and not creating movement of the core. So, you know, a lot of people still are looking at doing sit-ups and I, I need to rotate and I need all this and, and you do, but you need to rotate from the right places. Um, and what we actually want the low back to probably do is not rotate a lot. And mm. so we're trying to Stabilize and strengthen the areas that are supposed to be stable. Mobilize the areas that are supposed to be mobile. Um, develop good movement patterns, like you talked about, hip hinging and and those kind of things. Um, and uh, and a lot of times, again with golf, it's uh, we're a little overdeveloped, maybe in one side versus the other, um, and and those kind of things. And and yeah, again, usually remove as many remove as many uh, mobility restrictions as we can. Uh, strengthen and stabilize the areas that are going to provide support for the lower back. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think another one is also working on um, spinal segmentation, okay, flexion, extension of the spine. I often see a lot of times, you know, people's low back is kind of, they have a very hard time posteriorly, posteriorly tilting their pelvis, mm -hmm. um, kind of flexion through the uh, lumbar spine. They're kind of locked in, they're kind of stuck yep. there. Um, so that one, uh, I would say is another one too, that if someone talks about low back pain, I often see that they're not very good at doing that. Yeah. Um, so without knowing again, anything specific or assessing anybody specific or knowing any history, if you said you had low back pain, I'd probably look at those things, see how they're doing. And then, and then probably start from there. I think what we're talking about now, personally, in my experience, working with golfers is so important because, um, it's one thing to, it's one thing to just go work with the trainer and do what he says, but the the education piece of it to just get somebody to realize that like your low back hurts not because your low back is an issue, it's because above it, like that's what's actually supposed to rotate and taking the time and of setting like what you do or what I do to actually forgetting about the swing for a sec and just putting them in a position where like, hey, do you feel your torso rotating and kind of like what I said, your belly button still facing forward mm -hmm. um, like that is and, it's, and for you and I sometimes almost take it for granted sure. because we do it all the time. But for, you know, the average guy that's 55 years old and he, he no one ever talked to him about like, hey, you know, maybe feeling that rotation through the middle back and that torso and not the lower back and potentially yes we need to do mobility but maybe it's just a different thought process in his brain of where should i actually maybe feel the rotation that my hips can move freely that my mid back can move freely and i think going back to your junior even with the low back pain it's almost 
giving them the mindset of like, no, 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 these are the things that are supposed to move. So if this does what it's supposed to, you won't be so afraid of the lower back. But I think the education piece becomes huge, which it sounds like to you as you're working with clients that you do a lot of as well. The education of like, this is what it is. It's not just like, here's your program. Don't talk to me. Yeah, no, I try to. And, and you know, I'll, I'll have some clients who, you know, you can tell they come in and um, they're they're not particularly interested in the why. Yeah. They just want to work out. And that's fine. We, sure. we can do that. And we can just talk and have a good time and just work out. And then there's others that are very interested in what's going on. And I, I often won't maybe throw a lot of whys at them initially. I'll sort of wait for them to maybe get a little bit inquisitive and use that as an opening to then, you know, talk to them about what's going on. Um, but yeah, I find, I think one of the things that, like you said, we, we take for granted, we've been in the movement world for a long time. We yeah. think about it, we, we practice it all the time and, and we're very body aware, movement aware. And a lot of people aren't, um, whether they're athletes or not. Sure. Um, uh, and I think again, yes, understanding, teaching them when I'm, when I'm doing this kind of movement, what should actually be happening? What should I be feeling? What what should I be focusing on? Um, I know the one thing I find is, or I talk to our clients a lot about is, look, here's the exercise we're doing. It may look to you like we're trying to do this. It may look like this is an upper body pull or an upper body push. And it is, but there's three other things I'd rather you be focusing on. Your lower body position, your, your stable core, you're rotating through this part. And then, oh, by the way, we're actually moving this with the upper body. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think sometimes people maybe initially with an exercise, they're thinking just, you know, move the weight from point A to point B and they forget about what else is going on. Mm -hmm. I'm almost trying to reverse that and say, no, no, I'm, that's actually almost the last thing I'm worried about right now. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know where are your hips, where, where's your thorax, where are all those kind of pieces, what's moving, what's not moving, how do I stabilize it? Um, you know, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday or the other day where, you know, I was saying, you know, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I want you to sort of figure it out, like mm -hmm. play with it. Just move your body. And then how did, how do you make that happen? And mm -hmm. then just learn and just a little self-discovery. Um, and he sort of eventually figured it out and he, it was like a little light bulb went off, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's very important to not just give exercise, but also what, what is the actual focus of this exercise? And I use the driving analogy a lot with people where I say, if you can think back to when you first learned how to drive, there was a million things you were looking at. Every dial in the car you were looking at, you were looking at a million things around you. And now when you drive, you barely pay attention to any one of those because they've all become uh, second just nature. second nature. They've all become just uh, automatic. Yeah. And we're trying to get a lot of these things to be automatic. Or I often reference, you know, just the golf term of having a lot of swing thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, here are your swing thoughts. And once this is no longer a swing thought, we can move on to this. And so I'll try to reference it to them that way a little bit too. Cool. Yeah. Um, some more rapid fire style questions. Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing golf or fitness related that, you used to think was true maybe 15 years ago that you don't think is true anymore? Um, huh. uh, like I said, I think just the, the need for strength. I mean, I think there is a, a need to be strong, but uh, it's more probably more valuable, again, for the mobility piece and, and the power piece. And uh, just getting stronger is not going to have the same benefit as it would maybe in another sport. Good. Um, what's your, f your favorite golf course you've ever played? Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Beth page black. You played there. Huh? Yeah. Is, that as, is it hard as everyone says? It's harder than everybody says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're dumb enough to try to play from the black tees. Yeah, so well. no, Beth page was, uh, was a lot of fun. And I think mostly again, because it's, it's accessible to the public. Sure. Um, but that was, that was the most demanding course I think I've ever played. Yeah. What's your favorite club in your bag? Uh, seven iron. That's your, if, club, I, huh? if I need a shot, I can usually count on my seven iron. 
Perfect. Um, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on on social media, uh, Kirk Adams Golf on Instagram, uh, Kirk Adams Golf on on Twitter, and then uh, through BenSheerGolf.com um, at Athletic Edge. And I just saw on social Ben is starting. A, he started a podcast. Yeah, we've recorded a couple episodes. Ben's recorded a couple episodes of a podcast and starting to up you know re- upload those and release those. Mm-hmm. So um, we actually did one together about junior golf, uh, actually more more college golf and uh, what to expect as a junior thinking about college golf. So that will probably be out shortly. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Ben just started a podcast. He'll um, be doing a number of those on his own. We'll probably do a couple together. Um, he's going to have some guests on as well uh, from all different um, aspects, fitness, instruction, uh, equipment, um, technology side of it, all, all those kind of things. So yeah, look for that for the Ben Shear Golf Podcast as well. You mentioned it a few times, but talk about the junior golf program that you run. What is that about? Yeah, so we have um, a junior golf academy that we run at Athletic Edge. Um, like I said, uh, I'm sort of new to it, but we, we had a session in the fall, ran for 12 weeks, um, which we had three days a week. Um, and basically, we, we have in the afternoons during the week, 4.30 to 6.30. Um, kids can come in. We do an hour of fitness. We do an hour of golf practice, uh, guided practice. Um, so upstairs in our facility, we have a hitting bay. We have a, a, a practice putting green. We have some area where you can do some chipping and things like that. So um, we do – everybody comes in. They get a fitness assessment. We, we figure out where their their needs and their strengths and needs are. Um, and we put together a fitness program for them. We do an hour of that. And then they do an hour of golf fitness or uh, golf and guided practice as well. Yep. Um, we're running that now again in from January to March. And then I believe we run a, another session – from March through maybe the, the, the end of the school year. Um, and then, like I said, we're hoping to um, have as many of those kids stick around and, and do some training over the summer as well. Perfect. Yeah. Kirk, I appreciate you being on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. No problem. Thanks for Thanks, having man. me. Appreciate yeah, it. Enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the stay healthy New Jersey podcast.